Hello and welcome to The Sidebar presented by True Crime Daily, taking you inside the courtrooms of high profile and notorious cases from across the country. I'm your host, Joshua Ritter. I'm a criminal defense lawyer based in Los Angeles and previously an LA County prosecutor for nearly a decade. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Joshua Ritter ESQ or at joshuaritter.com. We are recording this on Friday, November 3rd, 2023. In this week's episode, another delay in the trial of suspected Delphi killer Richard Allen as his newly appointed defense counsel struggles to get up to speed amid the constant chaos in the case. Plus, trial has begun for Caitlin Armstrong, a yoga instructor and former international fugitive accused of murdering her boyfriend's pro-cycling mistress in the jealous throes of a love triangle. But first, Charlie Adelson, the successful Florida dentist, takes the stand in his own defense as he faces trial for the murder for hire of his ex-brother-in-law. Today, we are joined by Gisela Kay, an author, YouTuber, host of Grizzly True Crime with a large and dedicated following. Uh, do yourself a favor, check out her YouTube channel. Um, it's well worth the watch. Gisela, thank you so much for coming on and welcome. I'm honored to be here. Thank you for having me. Um, we are really interested to hear your thoughts on these cases because I know you follow these closely. This has become your life now. Uh, be before we jump in, uh, we talked a little bit beforehand about kind of the story that led to where you are and what you do today. And I thought it might be interesting for you to tell our listeners a little bit about that. Yes, and I believe I'm your first international guest. So if the people are wondering, where is that lady from? Because they ask me every day on my channel as well. I'm from South Africa, lived there for 35 years before moving to the Netherlands with my husband. And in South Africa, I was a pilot at South African Airways, part of the cadet pilot program. And then eventually, I really just wanted to try to write my own books and see what that was all about. And that evolved into podcasting and then eventually becoming a YouTuber. That's fantastic. I, that That is not the the normal route you hear about people usually taking when they get into this line of work and especially into the true crime world. What was it about true crime in particular that fascinated you? I think it's I've always been a bit of a risk manager. So if you think of the the airline career I had, that was all about public safety. And I just I just feel like true crime is very much like that. I really like to learn as much as possible. And that's what we watch trials for and learn about these cases, you know, for DV awareness and coercive control and stalking and the dangers of all of that. Um, so I just feel like it's it's a it's an, a strange pivot, but it's it's very much the same. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I agree with you. And, and talk about dangerousness. We have uh, uh, some cases today that fall right in line with that as far as just what you would expect to be normal law-abiding people committing incredible atrocities. And, and so we'll jump right into our first one is out of Tallahassee, Florida, where a dentist accused of orchestrating the plot to kill his former brother-in-law has opted to take the stand in his own defense, vehemently denying any role in the killing. Charlie Adelson is the last to face trial for the 2014 killing that left Florida State University law professor Dan Markell dead in a custody battle turned deadly. Prosecutors say Adelson was motivated to remove Marco so that his sister, Wendy Adelson, could leave the state with her children, gaining custody from her ex-husband. Already this plot is bizarre to me and that he's doing it on behalf of his sister, but his sister has not been 
brought in on any of the charges. Adelson alleged co-conspirators in the plot have both been sentenced for their roles, including his ex-girlfriend, Catherine McBanois, who was sentenced to life for her involvement in the killing. McBanois enlisted the help of Sigfredo Garcia, the father of her children and the trigger man who ended Markel's life, along with um, another man, Luis Rivera. Garcia also received a life sentence while Rivera struck a plea deal exposing the plot for a 19-year sentence, leaving both of Magbanwa's children uh, without parents now that both of the parents are in prison for the rest of their lives. So a really tragic element in the story there. While the result of the plot was crystal clear, the question of who masterminded the shooting that killed the loving father and beloved professor still remains unanswered. In a move that surprised many, shortly after the prosecution rested their case, Charlie Adelson took the stand, perhaps prompted by damaging taped conversations between the co-conspirators, which were played for the jury. On the stand, Adelson denied any role in the killing, insisting that any reference he may have made to a hitman was merely a joke made in poor taste. Adelson claimed that he only learned of Markel's death after McMandawa told him that a friend of hers was responsible for the shooting before she extorted him for money, which included $138,000 in cash. The prosecution concluded their cross-examination this morning and both sides have rested. Closing arguments are set for Monday morning, November 6th. Gisela, oftentimes the defendant takes a stand. It is seen as a last ditch effort to save themselves and a case that seems to be going down in flames. What are your thoughts? Is that what you think applies in this case? And just to kind of preface all of that, his ex-girlfriend, McBanvois, already testified about his involvement as the shock caller in this murder plot. Do you think he was at a point where he just had no other options? One must take the stand if one is a mastermind. That's what he's being called, right, in the public. But honestly, it's actually worked out really well for him. Because if he had just sat back silently, I don't know if it would have gone as well as it did now, even based on today with the prosecutor asking questions I mean, he is as quick as a whip. He is so quick with his answers, but yet remains so calm. He seems highly intelligent. And it actually, I can just see on social media, people are saying it was an epic fail today, the cross-examination. So I think it was actually he did himself a favor by getting up there and giving his very calm, calculated version of events. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with you. The The prosecution's cross was not what I thought it might have been. Um, and not to say that they did a bad job, but it didn't seem to kind of score those moments that you were expecting. And I think it's in large part for what you outlined is his demeanor remained so calm. It's It goes back to that old uh, adage that, you know, it's it's not so much what you're saying as much as it's how you're saying it that can be impactful on people. And he, I, I agree with you. I, I think he's received a lot of criticism because people feel like they can't believe his story. But as far as how he is handling himself on the stand, he seems to be doing well. Is that your thoughts? I think so. I think his heart rate is pretty low and the prosecutors, were, she was getting really frustrated. And then it starts coming across to the public, just based on all the social media that I'm seeing, right? I always like covering trials as well to see what does the whole community think. And it's now coming across as what came across as quite snarky or defensive or she was getting flustered and it, it's almost like a role reversal which i would imagine he'd be quite good at 
You know, he's always a few steps ahead of the game in whatever game he's playing. Yeah, it's not like he's an he's a very intelligent man. I mean, he he's a, he ran a very successful dentist uh practice. He had several different offices and locations. I I I point that out just to say that I don't think you could reach those heights in that profession if you weren't somehow intelligent. Uh, he's obviously very successful. Um but I so I think he was able to maintain his composure, but I think it was his actual answers and explanations that I'm finding most fault with. And and here's an example, and I want to hear your thoughts on this, but the real moment in his direct examination came at the point where he's saying he found out about the murder and now McBanois has told him she knows who did it. And he's saying that she doesn't tell him who it is. She knows who it is, but she won't tell him, oh, and they're going to kill you if you don't give them money. And he goes to the safe and pulls out $138,000 in cash and just hands it to her. Of all of this stuff that I can wrap my head around, I can actually believe him. I can believe his story. I'm not saying I believe it's true, but I can believe his story that he didn't know and this is all going on behind the scenes. But his reaction, even in his own words, of immediately believing everything she has to say, not going to the police and handing her $138,000 in cash is just too much for me. What were your thoughts? And then a sleepover. <laughs> it's like, let me just I, go to the safe and just get that cash out for you. Also, do you want to sleep over? <laughs> that one, really, I was like, ooh, that's going to be a difficult one to believe now. Because if he's claiming, well, she was, she told me all of this and these people are dangerous and, you know, but then you continue the relationship for a while. So, yeah, that was definitely one of the flaws in his statements. Yeah, it's the... It's it's really his conduct and, and demeanor afterwards does not fit into the persona that he was trying to present to the jury. I, I think any person in his position, if you're a law abiding person, you're going to go, we have to go to the police. We have to go. I'm not just going to start handing over cash to random people who I know to be murderers. But. There is a defense, isn't there, in the idea of of who he is, in other words, if you're trying to build reasonable doubt, I guess one of the questions you present to the jury is, why would this guy ever do this? Successful dentist, never committed a crime. It's over a custody dispute that isn't even involving his own children. And you would go to the depths of murder for hire. Do you think that carries any water for the defense? I mean, if you look at it that way, it's a very wealthy, successful family. And it could be pretty easy for maybe half of the jury to believe, well, that ex-girlfriend, uh, McBanawa, is connected to the Latin kings. I mean, then it sounds quite plausible that, oh, so you're dating someone from a really wealthy family and he's very wealthy and successful himself. I mean, then the extortion narrative can make some sense because the rest doesn't make sense. Why would he do that? Why would he do that for his sister? Under what circumstances? Especially because he said he saw her about three times a year. So why would he suddenly be talking to Catherine? That's another question I had actually. Why is he talking to her about these problems that his sister's having when he says, oh, I only saw her three times a year? Very interesting. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think there is some meat on the bone with that extortion uh, defense presented to the jury. It's not, you know, it's it, it kind of, it, it, 
it, it seems plausible. And I, I guess that's the most that you can hope for as a defense is to present a plausible explanation for what took place. And is it plausible, like you just pointed out, that a Dennis successful family not involved in the criminal world would decide out of nowhere, I'm going to I'm going to hire people to commit murder or is it more likely and plausible that he would be the victim of extortion? And if we're sitting here asking that question, maybe the jurors are too, no? Exactly. And if McBanawa's trial, the first trial ended in a hung jury, well, then I think even more so there's a chance that his could end the same way. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Listen, I think he was involved. I mean, if we're just we're just placing bets here. I think a lot of evidence beyond what we've had the chance to talk about today points towards him. But I'm I'm just pointing out the fact that I don't think his defense is outrageous. It's just whether or not the prosecution did enough uh, to poke holes in it. And and we're going to find out soon enough. They have closing arguments on Monday. So we should uh, likely have a verdict by next week, I think. And yes. we will keep a close eye on that case and update everyone um, as they come through. Calling all pop culture enthusiasts. Are you obsessed with all things celebrity? Do you live for the drama, the laughs, and the unexpected moments that unfold on social media? Then you're going to want to tune in to the Comments by Celebs podcast. Join us three times a week as we deep dive into every aspect of pop culture. Whether it's dissecting the latest trends or just chatting about your favorite celebs, Comments by Celebs has you covered. We have new episodes out every week. Follow and listen to Comments by Celebs on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Now let's move to uh, Delphi, Indiana, where over a year after Delphi police announced the arrest of a suspect in the high-profile murders of Abby Williams and Libby German, the trial for the accused killer will again be delayed. Newly appointed attorneys for Richard Allen have requested continuance in the case to allow them ample time to review the evidence. Allen's previous defense attorneys were disqualified from the case following discovery of evidence leaked by a friend and former employee of one of the attorneys. The leak contained sensitive crime scene photos, and in a tragic turn, after police questioning about the incident, the leaker committed suicide. In the first court appearance since his original attorneys were removed from the case, Allen's former attorney sat next to him and his newly appointed uh, public defender sat behind him. The judge told Allen, I cannot and will not allow these attorneys to represent you. She then disqualified Andrew Baldwin and Bradley Rossi from representing him, even without pay as they now requested. Now in lieu of a January 2024 start date that was previously proposed, Allen is instead scheduled to face trial somewhere between October and November of next year. So we're talking about putting this over for another year. There's a lot, a lot going on here. I want to first talk about this leak. Obviously, um, it's awful. But what are your thoughts on kicking the attorneys off of the case over it. And, and the reason why I ask that is it was never alleged that the attorneys themselves did it, but that it was people under their employ who took part in this league. What are your thoughts? I just, I don't agree with it because I've been covering the case since I started my channel. And for over a year now, I've been getting emails every single week uh, from someone offering crime scene photos from this case. And I know that there's, 
a few people in law enforcement, you know, that I've spoken to in the past that say they can't say much, but they've seen some of the photo, things like that. And I'm like, hmm. So the crime scene photos have actually been leaked a long time ago. So this was very interesting timing with everything that the defense had brought up to now suddenly have three disseminators. Well, how far back does that go? Because I think the crime scene photos may have been leaked long ago. So I just think that they didn't follow the right procedure, meaning the judge. Where was the hearing? Bradley Rosie didn't file a motion to withdraw. There was no official hearing. She's basically just saying, because I said so. And then she called her friends up, basically, because she's hired William Librato and Robert Scremen, and she is very close friends with William Librato on Facebook, not just accept a friend request. She's interacting and engaging in all the photos. That's just come out now, too. And now the attorney general has said, I'm not representing you in that hearing coming up for November 9th. So she said, I need a five-day postponement of that to then prepare because she needs to find her own representation. So it's quite a concern. This case is taking really bizarre turns that have nothing to do with the case itself, by the way. All of this maneuvering and and removal of attorneys and allegations of misconduct sadly have nothing to do with what this whole case is about. But you, you you make an interesting point that I want to talk about is that the judge is essentially saying, I, I'm just going to do this because I think it's the right thing to do. But just so listeners understand, that's not a small thing that is taking place here. Under the Sixth Amendment, you have a right to an attorney. We all know that. We tell you, you hear that in the, the Miranda rights. You have a right to an attorney. If you can't want afford one, one will be appointed to you. But the courts have decided that Along with that means that you have a right to an attorney of your choosing if you're able to afford that person. And here the judge is denying them that constitutional right, even after the defendant has made a request to have these attorneys remain on despite the leaking of evidence and everything else. So it's I guess I just want to point out and, and get your thoughts on this. This isn't a small thing. This is a this is a curtailment or an infringement, however you want to call it, of his Sixth Amendment constitutional right. Now, how, how do you feel about it? I mean, so many people think that if we are pointing this out, then it's like, are you trying to get Richard Allen out of prison? And he should be in jail, not prison. Even that in itself is a bit odd. But if he does not have a fair trial, there will be no justice for Libyan Abbey. Because if you're just going to throw him in prison, and that's that. And because I said so, these are the lawyers we now have. Let's just wrap this case up. It just isn't, it's not a fair trial, which means it's not justice. It has to be done right. I, I couldn't agree with you more. What's being lost in this is Libby and Abby and getting them justice. And getting them justice makes sure means not just getting the conviction, but means making sure that conviction sticks. And things like this cause problems on appeal. And you're absolutely right. If all of this nonsense leads to appealable issues, what a tragedy would that be if we end up years down the line, if he is convicted, with him getting an opportunity at another trial and that prior conviction being thrown out for something that was could easily have been avoided at this point. And that's why we've talked about it many times on this show, but a prosecutor's job isn't just get the conviction at all costs. It's to make sure that you're doing it the right way all every step of the way so that you avoid these problems down the road. 
How do you think the victims are are feeling through all of this? Have you gotten any feedback on your podcast about how this seems to be just muddying the waters from this case? Only from my audience, because, of course, the judges also made sure there's a gag order, so no one can really talk about it. We're not seeing, obviously, Superintendent Dakota would probably have a lot to say about this. The families would want to talk, but they can't. So the general public, I would say, in my community, the Grizzlies, generally most feel that this is not right. Something's up here. Something stinks in Delphi, and it actually always has. The case has always had a lot of strange coincidences and red flags. I mean, even with the sketches, the younger sketches released, and this is who we believe the killer is, and then you arrest Richard Allen. And the attorney general himself said, this is a lot of only circumstantial evidence. It's going to be a hard one to prove. And they've always implied that there's more people that are going to be arrested. So are they? Or are they now pretending, just don't hear any of that, it's just this lone wolf, this one guy. You know, are they ever going to, is there going to be more progress? Will there be true justice? I don't know. So many people, some people feel like, don't even entertain these defense attorneys at all. But it's not about that. And it's not about the Odinist angle. It's much bigger than that. It's about exposing possible corruption and making sure that due process is followed, that things are done the right way. I mean, why were more than 100 documents sealed that should have been made public? That doesn't help the public trust the courts there. It doesn't help build trust with the judge or the process that's happening there in Delphi. But now the documents are all coming out. Yeah, well put. Well put. None of this, you're right, none of this is helping the public perception of how all of this is being handled. And now, putting it off for a year. Listen, I realize this is a very serious case, but I'm sorry. A year is a tremendous amount of time to say that attorneys need to get ready on a case, even of this magnitude. So again, you're right. Public trust being called into question, the victim's rights being called into question. This whole thing seems to have been uh, just cursed from the get-go. We will continue to follow it, apparently now for the next year or so. Let's uh, finally turn to Austin, Texas, where trial is underway for a yoga instructor and two-time fugitive for the shooting death of a professional cyclist and a love triangle gone horribly awry. In opening statements this week, prosecutors presented their theory telling jurors that they would hear audio of the incident from a neighbor's ring camera where the victim, Mariah Moe, she goes by Moe Wilson, screams before three gunshots and her cries. Caitlin Armstrong stands accused of fatally shooting Wilson, allegedly to remove the romantic rival who had a relationship with her her then-boyfriend, pro cyclist Colin Strickland. Armstrong's defense urged jurors to consider the evidence they would not see or hear, pointing to the fact that no witnesses observed the crime and the defendant was not seen entering or exiting the home despite prevalent security cameras in the area. Authorities apprehended Armstrong last year in Costa Rica after she allegedly used her sister's passport to flee the country and underwent surgery to change her appearance. The trial start uh, comes after another escape attempt by Armstrong in which she was able to evade corrections officers after a medical appointment at an offside clinic. We have some video footage of that escape attempt that we can show you now. What's always funny to me about watching that, not funny, funny is not the right word. What, uh, What is remarkable to me is that she's wearing a jail um, uniform. 
that looks like what we all think of as that typical prison outfit of the black, uh, black and white stripes and just a, an obvious failed attempt to escape uh, from the get-go, but um, just another interesting glimpse inside the mind of Armstrong. Uh, she is set to face charges for the alleged escape in mid-November. However, evidence of the incident will be allowed in trial for the murder of Wilson. Cameras in the trial have been restricted to opening statements and closing arguments, but will continue to update as the case progresses. All right, Gisela. This case caught national attention, I think mainly because of Armstrong's initial status as a fugitive. She was on the run for several weeks before being apprehended in Costa Rica. On its own, how damaging do you think the evidence of her running in this case will be for her murder trial now? Because they're going to present that as consciousness of guilt evidence. How How damaging do you think it is? Very damaging, especially because in opening statements, her defense uh, attorney who was rolling his eyes quite a lot because there were many objections there, said she just loves to travel. And I'm like, on her sister's passport, <laughs> that's going to be a difficult one. I'm like, oh, she loves to travel. We could buy that, but not on her sister's passport. That was a bit odd. And then the entire plastic surgery face change, that's a huge sign of guilt. But she stayed true to her yoga. <laughs> she took a yeah. yoga mat with her. And she was caught at a yoga retreat, um, doing yoga, literally, and starting dating and everything, starting a new life, going by a new name, and then caught after 43 days. Yeah. Yeah, the yoga really became her undoing. The the investigators were able to kind of piece this together by finding out different yoga studios in the area. They had a general idea of where she might be and, and checking in with those yoga studios to see if anybody knew had been a, a a member there or even teaching there. And that's how they eventually were able to track her down. Um, but I agree with you. I, I This type of evidence, I think, is so powerful with jurors because jurors are always asking themselves the question of what would I do? What would, what would I do if I were innocent? And what would I do if I were guilty? And the, 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 answer to that is if you're innocent you're not going to run and if you're guilty you are right is is that why you think it it's so persuasive to jurors and damaging for the defense i think so because i always think of well how will the defense fight this how will they create reasonable doubt but man her dna on the seat of mo wilson's bicycle which she also just chucked in in bamboo just not far from the house but her dna on that bicycle and on the handlebars part of and then going fleeing the way she did i mean that just it's very difficult uh, for the defense to to fight for her in this case yeah yeah you're right let's not lose sight of that dna right um it's that the defense is obviously already uh, foreshadowed that a lot of their argument is going to be about the fact that no one saw her in that area despite all the cameras okay fine the DNA still places you near that bike, right? We may not be able to pinpoint the time, but you obviously touched that bike at some point. And what other reason on earth would you have for touching that bike seat? That's going to going to be a tricky one. And we'll see how that plays out, which brings me to my last question on this is, you know, 
I'm sure you get asked this all the time. I get asked it on, on nearly every single case. Do you think the defendant will take the stand? And my answer is usually no. It's It rarely seems like it's a case where it would benefit the defendant. Some cases it's understandable, like we talked about earlier today, um, where you've got no other choice. But here with Armstrong, um, I feel like she might need to, if nothing else, to explain why it was that she ran and ended up in Costa Rica with an entirely new face. What do you think? I mean, usually I would also say no, but in her case, everything she's done so far, one wouldn't expect. Would she run with a yoga mat to Costa Rica and change a whole face? Would she try to escape again? Like, I wouldn't have guessed that. In her, as we just said, little jail outfit, and she's running, and obviously a trained, I believe she'd been training quite intensely beyond yoga, <laughs> to practice for that day, allegedly. Would she have done that? I thought she would be quite calculated and tried to come across as maybe like really scared of her boyfriend and that's why she had to leave, you know, and that's why she went on her sister's passport because she didn't want him to find her. I thought maybe they'll go with that. But unfortunately, all her actions up to now have been quite questionable. So I wouldn't actually doubt that she would take the stand. Yeah, an interesting thing to think about, though it's just purely for the fun of thinking about it, is how defensible is this case if she had not run? I mean, they, they, you know, this isn't a as you pointed out, not a slam dunk of a case, but, but, but for her running, I think that's really, it might be those actions that seal her fate in this whole thing. The case is ongoing. Uh, like we said, opening statements have just occurred. They're, they're just starting the prosecution to put on their case this week. So we will continue to keep everyone updated. But in the meantime, Gisela, thank you so much for coming on this week. Where can people find out more about you? I'm pretty much on YouTube, on Grizzly True Crime every day. I make a lot of content for my audience. I'm very passionate about what I do. And we do a lot of deep dives and map time and bullet points and look at the documents and everything. So pretty much every day I'm live streaming on Grizzly True Crime on YouTube. Fantastic. And like I said, well worth checking out. Um, and I'm your host, Josh Ritter. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Joshua Ritter ESQ or at JoshuaRitter.com. You can find our Sidebar episodes wherever you get your podcasts, and we want to hear from you. If you've got questions or comments you'd like us to address, tweet us your questions with the hashtag TCD Sidebar. And thank you for joining us at the True Crime Daily Sidebar.